This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IV Press and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemini. And I'm Michelle. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, M. How you doing, girl? Well, almost like a namaste well. You know. Not a namaste well. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to be chill on these streets. Oh, Lord. In the, valley, in the valley of the shadow of the Rona. You know, <laughs> what are we doing? Help what us, we Lord. Doing? You know, what is really going on? That's what right. is going on? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Marvin taught us to ask the question, Look, you know, and, so, <laughs> and not try to answer it. Okay. Come he really left it open ended. He really did. <laughs> he did, though. <laughs> like, now I'm going to listen to the song after we're done recording. <laughs> The prophet Marvin has spoken to us. Okay. (laughs) He saw Rona from afar and we did not know. We did not know. Lord, help us. Help us on today. Okay. (laughs) So y'all, y'all know that we are still in our UOK series and um, for the second season. Um, This is our fourth season, but again, we've renewed the UOK series because we're in a pandemic. It's a pertinent question, um, and it needs an answer. Uh, and so in this episode, y'all, we uh, thought it, as the data has uh, begun to show and to, to come out, um, you know, uh, our people, the Black community, are uh, uh, disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Um, I think I, that that most likely probably might not come to us as a surprise um, to most mm-hmm. of us, but to some of us, it, it it does. You know, you know the age old quote that when you know white America has a cough, you know we get the flu. Okay, so you know this is um, you know so this is something that's really impacting our community, and so we thought it was really important for us to address it as this is something that's just. Um, some some new information, you know, that has just finally um, been revealed. And so we thought it would be really, really important to bring some sisters to the table who know what they're talking about to give us the evidence, the facts, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, And to Mm -hmm. tell us what we need to know in order to uh, continue to press on and to survive during this age of COVID. And so it's uh, my honor, our honor um, to bring to the table, LaTroya Hester and Shantae Keith. Okay. Uh, Welcome to the table, y'all. Hi. Thanks for having us. Oh, we're honored to have you we We're are excited already, yes no and we are we are excited that you're here at this table and before we even launch into uh into this news um uh i want to tell our sisters at the table who y'all are okay so latroya hester is the director of communications at the national african-american tobacco prevention network inc 
It's a national nonprofit concerned with health equity and improving health outcomes for African-Americans. She received her ABJ and MA from the University of Georgia and has worked in brand management, public relations, and public health. Hester currently manages events and communications for NAPTIN, State of Black Health National Conference, and No Menthol Sunday. As a passion project, she also runs Media Woke, a faith-based program that teaches media life discipleship. Full-time, Hester serves as a life coach to two little girls who love to color outside the lines. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also with us at the table. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Also at the table, we have with us um, Shantae Keith. She is a public health activist, trainer, a health equity champion, and a breast cancer survivor. For 15 years, she has worked on issues that impact African-American health, ranging from diabetes, tobacco use, cancer disparities, and HIV AIDS. She currently serves as the Director of Operations for NAPTIN, a national organization that addresses tobacco use, cancer, and HIV within the African-American community. She has traveled across the country to provide training and technical assistance to federal and state agencies, faith-based institutions, appointed and elective officials, voluntary organizations, and historically Black colleagues. Colleges, okay, HBCUs. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> she's done that in, in order to um, teach our people how to reduce health challenges that impact our communities and how to mobilize communities to influence policy change. So welcome to the table, Shantae and LaTroya. We are honored to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. Absolutely honored. I mean, I guess just for, I mean, just to uh, start us off, can y'all tell us why is COVID-19 impacting our people disproportionately? What's up with that? What's going on? So, you know, that's a really interesting question because people seem to be so surprised by what they're witnessing. But those of us in public health and most of us Black folks know that the fact is we carry a lot of those pre-existing conditions that make you higher risk for severe COVID-19. So when you're talking about our diabetes rates, African-Americans are 60% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes than, you know, our white counterparts. Um, Heart disease, we're 40% more likely to have high blood pressure. Our heart disease rates are higher. Our mortality rate for lung cancer is higher. And when you're talking about smoking, African-Americans, you know, we do tend to have very high smoking rates. It's still our number one killer. Tobacco use is still the number one killer of African-Americans. And so, you know, because of that, because of the general um, health disparities that we're seeing, what we're seeing with COVID-19 is only is only to be expected. And um, let me just say this. Van Jones the other day was on The Breakfast Club. And one of the interesting things he said was that we are an, an epidemic that's layered by an epidemic that's layered by an epidemic. Exactly. And so exactly. the first level of the epidemic is the virus itself. And so you're absolutely right. Um, I heard you just say that when America, when white America catches um, a cold, black folks catch pneumonia. Um, I read another article the other day that Mm -hmm. said that the plot twist is that when white Americans catch the novel coronavirus, black Americans die. And so we're seeing exactly numbers that we're seeing across the country in places like Chicago, Mm -hmm. where they account Mm -hmm. for 52% of the confirmed cases and 72% of the deaths. In Louisiana, Mm. we're seeing a makeup of um, 33% of the state's population is African-American, but they're making up 70% of the deaths. In my home state of North Carolina, Black folks make up 38% of the cases and the deaths, even though we make up 
only 22% of the total population. So we're seeing this, you know, across the country. So the first level is the coronavirus itself and the disproportionate impact that it has on our community. But then the second layer is the reason why the coronavirus is so exacerbated in our community is the um, chronic conditions that Latoya just mentioned. We are already off the chart for asthma, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, HIV. Those things were already running in our communities. So um, those were challenges that we already had. We didn't need a pandemic to... um, to take us out because we were already disproportionately impacted by chronic disease. And then that other layer, um, the reason why the chronic conditions um, are so um, prevalent in our community is because of systemic racism. Um, And that's something that, you know, our organization um, definitely talks about how these systems are in place that really impact um, the health of our communities. Um, and so this is a layered um, issue um, and challenge for our community. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I, I think it's so important to make clear that when we talk about health disparities, we're actually talking about the fruit of a poison tree, you know, the way we would discuss yep. the yes, absolutely. regime in the White mm-hmm. House. Yeah. Wow, like, we could say that 45's presidency, even right now, it's just the bitter fruit from a tree whose deep roots are in massacre and land stealing and, and man stealing. Right. So Mm -hmm. here, how are black bodies keeping the score in such a way Mm -hmm. of bearing the brunt of honestly, the sins of the United States. Can can y'all give Mm -hmm. quantitative discussion to what we know in our bones, what we see in our Mm -hmm. aunties and uncles, like, Tobacco addiction isn't just mm-hmm. because, oh, no, all y'all Negroes ain't doing nothing or you can't handle your life. Right, you know, there's, right. there's yeah, a certain no. correlative response no. to, you know, our emotional health, right? You're 100% correct. There is a genetic component that continues to get passed on. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're just talking about generally these these corporations like the tobacco industry that have intentionally targeted our communities, you know, making the price of mentholated tobacco products cheaper in our communities, giving it out for free, you know, associating uh, their products with like the movement, like black power and civil rights movements to make people think that this product is um, foundational to their freedom is, yeah, Yeah. you know, or making it cool and all of that. And so they really do play with the psyche of our people. Um, That's Mm. a part of what they do. It's not, oh, you guys just need to quit smoking. It's never that simple. But there is a generational impact that comes from, um, you know, the foods we were originally allowed to eat in in, um, slavery and how that impacted the the way we eat as a culture. Um, What's available to us? How much does fast food cost in our community? And how does that how does that compare to the price of fresh fruits and groceries that are available mm-hmm. in our communities? How easy it is easy is it for us to get access to the necessary medical care? How seriously are we taken when we go to get care? Um, there are all, right. just an abundance right. of factors. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And yeah, you know, and I'm yeah. I'm also wondering how much of the uh, and maybe this is something. I don't know if you guys have the stats on this, but how much is um, a medical apartheid, right? And um, our people's um, inability to get access, right, to healthcare. How is that impacting um, the outcomes for our people with regard to COVID nineteen? For, for example, there was this um, this uh, young brother. Uh, he's twenty five years old in Michigan. 
His name is um, Bassie Offyoung, who who had all the symptoms of COVID and literally begged the doctors to test him over and over. And at least twice they rejected him, him um, rejected and refused to test them, him and he died. I have a hunch that he ain't the only one, you know, that's um, had that experience. And I'm curious about, I don't know if you all do you all have data on that or and how um, that medical apartheid or that medical racism is impacting our people and their outcomes with regard to COVID-19. That's an interesting question. And certainly um, as um, we know, this virus is for a season. And so um, when we um, look back at the impact on how it has, uh, how the virus has impacted our community. That's a question that we need to ask, but we're hearing um, similar stories as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it really speaks to um, just the biases that um, medical professionals often have, where this isn't a new problem. Um, some physicians in our community, some um, um, folks that are in the medical field have ignored the pain of Black folks um, have ignored the symptoms, have tr- mistreated um, our our communities. Um, and so, you know, that was a concern before coronavirus. I can only imagine that that is exacerbated um, now. And so, you know, that's something that, you know, we need to tackle on an ongoing basis is the bias of our medical professionals um, and how they treat us um, going forward. A whole word. I'm like, I would oh. like to sit with that. I guess we have to continue to talk. It's important that these stories that these stories hit media because right yes. now people are outraged because these this topic has not been top of mind for them. During mm-hmm. the civil rights movements, when these stories were when people were seeing um, African Americans being hosed down, Northerners could only they were they were happy ignoring many of the issues. But when you saw it on the news, then there became an outrage that Mm -hmm. sparked action. That story that you just told about um, the gentleman in Michigan, you know, my, um, a friend of ours, his uncle passed because they wouldn't treat him until his results for COVID-19 came back positive. And it took five days for those results to come back. Meanwhile, he got sicker and sicker. And by the time he was admitted, it was too late and he passed away. And Mm. the thing is, we're not telling these stories because people don't often have an ear for us. And this is a time where we have to shed light on the medical biases that have already been plaguing the medical profession this is this is mm-hmm. the result it's sort of like here you go look at the fruit there yeah yeah mm-hmm. and what what would y'all say to our sort of nicodemus joseph of arimathea <laughs> <laughs> who they you know they sneak around to come sit at Truth's table at night. You know what I'm saying? Like the um, physician's assistants, the nurses, because we got Black folk in healthcare who are raising the alarm. And they're saying Mm -hmm. like, you know, I work under white doctors that are like, treat everybody like a DNR uh, if they're over the age of 40. And they don't, Mm -hmm. do they get to call it out? You know, they're coming to us for support. We don't have no... um, qualifications to assist them. How do we right. push the very important narrative that, that you're uh, lifting up here? I know in my state, in the state of Missouri, almost a thousand people died from blood clots in their leg in one oh year my goodness. My as goodness. all black folk and poor folk. 
And that there's no way that should have happened. So mm-hmm. now with COVID-19, it's going to be even worse. Reuters article is, you know, really terrified me the other day where their scientists are projecting black li- loss of life um, mm-hmm. as the most mm-hmm. critical beyond Latin, beyond native. And that's just terrifying. Um, oh, so man. when it comes to telling our medical professional beloved, our kin, you know, who are in this mm-hmm. profession, what, how should we encourage them to bring out these stories of apartheid while also mm. encouraging them to get into the field? I know it could be a complex mm. question, but we we get that sometimes. It is complex. Um, so f- for me, from a, from a media perspective, right, that's my background. Mm. Um, don't take it lightly, your ability to use social media to make noise. Because this Mm. is the time that this kind of thing is being heard. We want to take very specific care about misinformation. But when there are specific stories of injustice happening inside the hospitals, you know, those nurses and um, PAs, they have the ability to put those stories out there. And then don't underestimate the value of contacting your local media to write letters to the editor to use, you know, your news stations to say, hey, this is what's going on, because right now people are listening. And that's one way to tell the story. That is one way to keep the government in check by making sure these stories hit the news. That's Mm. right. Yep. Mm. Yep. Amen. Yeah, that is good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious about, so there's so many, (laughs) so many directions that uh, I want to be able to to go in. um, But I'm curious about what you all would say to um, to our listeners who are like, you know, still, you know, everybody's at a different stage, right? Right. With regard to acceptance of yeah. what's really going on, <laughs> you know, um, and I'm curious about what you would say to the sisters at the table and the brothers in the mm-hmm. um, standing room section, because uh, they, they out there. Um, they are. They what are. would you say <laughs> to them who haven't yet, dealt or grappled with the gravity of COVID-19. It's not all our people, but there are still some just in general people, black people, white people don't matter. Like, you know, but specific in our community, what would you say to somebody that's still not getting the gravity of this, who still thinks that they can go and hang out, you know, with a friend and they still think they can kind of somewhat do what they used to do. What would you say to that, to to those people um, either at the table or in the standing room section here? (laughs) <laughs> Hashtag stay home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know what? Where where I will start is um, with how this virus is different from any other um, virus that we've seen, and that people really need to yes. understand that um, it's novel coronavirus because it's it's new. This is a new strand that we Mm. don't have an immunity Mm. to. We don't have a vaccine for. Um, And I believe Mm -hmm. the vaccine they're saying is about 12 to 18 months out. Um, And Mm -hmm. so listen, you know, we remember SARS in 2003. We remember H1N1 in 2009 Mm -hmm. um, and MERS in 2012. All of those viruses are a different strand of coronavirus. Um, So when, again, when experts say this is um, novel, again, this is a new strand. This is something that we've, you know, we've never seen before. And so a lot of folks will say, well, you know, the flu kills more people than the coronavirus every year. But with the flu, you can infect up to one person. With the coronavirus, you can infect up to two to three people. 
Um, so we're seeing exponential mm. spread. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's highly contagious. Um, even with the um, seasonal flu, um, which we've known for several years, the mortality rate is 0.1% or less. Um, with the coronavirus, the fatality is 1% to 3.4%. Um, so we're not talking about, mm. you know, um, a, a lightweight virus. Um, we're talking about something right. that is that is really serious um, that our folks need to um, take into consideration. So we're hearing stories. Um, you know, if you have not been directly impacted, um, look, you you might in the very near future. Um, you know, we're hearing, <laughs> I'm just saying we're hearing stories about um, people who are dying alone. Um, family members who are unable oh, to go um, see their family and their um, as they're taking their last <sighs> breath. Um, we're hearing mm-hmm. stories of um, people who can't give their loved ones an appropriate home going. And, you know, for us, that mm-hmm. is something mm-hmm. that um, is part of our culture, having a home going celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a a not a time for us to not take this seriously. Our people are dying. Absolutely. We have to also remember to approach people with sensitivity as they do get on this train because the train has left Mm -hmm. the station. And if you're Mm -hmm. still sort of like, I don't think it's that big of a deal, you know, start with some compassion. I know that I, for instance, had to cancel my trip to Hawaii at the beginning of March. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, even as a public health person, I'm like, this is going to settle down sooner rather than later, you know? And so we all have those moments where we're just not quite sure which way it's going to go. But, you know, when you think about the people who are higher risk in your life, then you can say, okay, if not for myself, then let me do it for, mm-hmm. like Shantae once said, do it for grandma. Come on, do it for grandma. Right. <laughs> do, it for- <laughs> do it, you know, because, you know, the, 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 the requirements are at this point, if you are in a position to stay home, very basic, stay home, wash your hands, wear a mask if you have to go out. Um, and, and the situation is that people f- are feeling so constrained and they don't know the consequence of, of being lax about that. The consequence is you will pass on this virus to someone who you care about who won't be able mm-hmm. to handle it as well as you. And because we know that, you know, so many of your listeners are believers, we're believers. I don't want to negate the fact that if you are in a low risk, um, in the low risk category, meaning that you don't have any pre-existing conditions and you are a believer, if you have to leave home, let it be for good. Just because we're not um, getting together to go to church and have service, it doesn't mean that we can't be of service, right? So if you... Uh feel like you need to get out of the house, well, go give these babies some 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 lunch because people, these food banks are needing volunteers. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. have to get out, let yourself be of service, right? When mm-hmm. the plagues hit, uh, many, you know, many years ago, all the plagues that have ever hit, you know, Christians were known, the first century Christians, they were known to rise to the occasion. They go out, they feed okay. the sick, they're nursing, you know, they're acting as nurses, they're doing what they have to do, they're being fearless about it. So if you are mm-hmm. so fearless and you can take precautions according to CDC guidelines, use that boldness to go and be of service. Mm. 
Mm, that was that's really really good yeah. thank you for that admonishment mm-hmm. so practical um and so needed um and you know what y'all have dropped so many gems we are going to take a quick commercial break to take in what y'all dropped on us um and when we come <laughs> back we uh latroya and shantae will still be at the table with us to talk some more about COVID 19 and the black community we'll be right back after this break Hey, y'all. So, you know, the three of us at the table, myself, Michelle and Christina, are all anti-racist. As such, we are always trying to slay white supremacy in the name of Jesus. And so we are actually proud to share with you all this book, Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience by Sheila Wise Rowe. People of color have endured traumatic histories and daily assaults on their dignity. In the new book, Healing Racial Trauma, professional counselor Sheila Wise Rowe exposes the symptoms of racial trauma to lead readers to a place of freedom from the past and new life for the future. In each chapter, Sheila includes an interview with a person of color to explore how we experience and resolve racial trauma. And get this, our very own Michelle Higgins is an endorser of Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience by Sheila Wise Rowe. And of course, Sisters at the Table get a special discount. You can save 40% off of Healing Racial trauma when you order at ivpress.com using the promo code truth 20 the offer expires on september 30th don't forget to use your promo code tell them we sent you by using the code truth 20 at ivpress.com to get 40 percent off of sheila wise rose new book healing racial trauma the road to resilience all right we are back so wonderful to have our sisters at the table. Latroya and Shantae, we really appreciate digging into this idea of gracious interaction with people who are kind of not quite on the train that's already left the station when it comes to <laughs> really putting on our whole armor of PPE. Amen. Come on, come um, on. What I what I want to kind of dig into is encouragement and advice, just like straight up practical advice for our listeners and uh, family members and friends of our listeners who are essential workers um, and who are quite honestly too poor to stay home. Like Mm -hmm. their, you know, quality of life depends upon their ability to risk their lives. So Mm -hmm. how, how would you advise and even encourage them. I think they might be taking it more seriously than anybody else. They might see it more. And and we've even had essential workers like medical care um, professionals, medical professionals say, we are the last line of defense. The front lines are the essential workers who are still bringing y'all food, who are still working in meatpacking mm-hmm. plants. We don't want mm-hmm. nobody to get to these hospitals. We are the last line, the Hail Mary is the hospitals. So how do we care for and encourage our beloved that are truly the front lines, our bus drivers, you know, our, um, our folks that still clean houses? And stuff? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, let me just say this, that what I am hoping, um, Michelle, is that after this is all over, that there's a culture shift in this country um, that we mm-hmm. recognize that um, these essential workers are folks that have always been essential. 
um, and that we need to, um, of course, value what they um, bring um, to our communities. Right. Um, and so for a policy standpoint, one of the things that um, we want to see um, is that you can't no longer say that um, these folks don't deserve a livable wage. Um, Come they on need through. a livable wage versus um, a minimum wage. Um, so that's on a policy Amen. front. Um, but to keep folks um, encouraged, I mean, we understand that essential workers, there is a stress and a level of trauma there that needs to be addressed, particularly um, when essential workers are scared to go to work, they are um, afraid not to go to work because they have to provide, but they're also afraid of bringing the virus back to um, their family members. And so with that being said, uh, we want essential workers to first off have a voice um, to be able to express um, their concerns, um, to have the appropriate um, protection um, in terms of you know wearing a mask, in terms of wearing gloves, in terms of being able to um, use um, hand sanitizer. We want our essential workers to know that there is a full community out here that is supportive um, and really, um, really wants to um, elevate um, the work that they've been doing for our community to keep us all healthy, whole, and safe at this time. Mm-hmm. And we can support them. I think that we, you know, especially the media puts a lot of attention on those, on our medical, um, the medical providers, but the, the, your bus drivers and the people who have to be out day in and day out, if we can serve them, if you start to identify your neighbors and say, Hey, I don't want you to have to leave the house unnecessarily. So go to mm-hmm. work, come back and I'll make sure your groceries are at your doorstep. Wow. You know, there are mm-hmm. ways that we can help them That's to good stay in as little as possible and just respect that the role, the role that they have in our society, like they, mm-hmm. they you know, um, that's just exactly. what I would say. We, we have to start to view them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and honor them at the, at the level that they need to be. Yes. Yeah. yes. Exactly. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that yeah. to say that when we love someone, we create solutions for them. Right. Well, yes, if you exactly. love me, your imagination yeah. be- expands. Exactly. You know, by nature. Mm-hmm. Isn't that One, funny? Yes. How that happens? Yes. <laughs> yes. Say that. So, amen. Amen. That's good. That's really, really good. Very practical yeah. um, advice as well. Um, you know, so we uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit because something occurred occurred I believe on April 10th y'all um the U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams oh Jerome um, he, he made some some very um questionable remarks and um and he addressed it to uh really our people um, and um, to the Holy Latinx table. community. 
Well, <laughs> well, he was directing these remarks, I should say, to uh, to who the black the black community and the Latinx community, I believe. But this in this excerpt, this is what he said. His words, not ours. He said, "Avoid alcohol, tobacco, and drugs." And call your friends and family. Check in on your mother. She wants to hear from you right now. And speaking of mothers, we need to do this. If not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your pop pop. We need you to understand, especially in communities of color, we need you to step up and help stop the spread so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable. End quote. And... I'm just curious. I was, about to, I was about to go on a tangent, but you know what it's saying about me. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious uh, about your 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 comments and your reaction to that, um, Latroya and Shantae. If you could just speak to that, please. We would love to hear your thoughts. Shantae gets really passionate about it, yeah. um, and so do I. So we're going to use the. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use a sandwich approach as we address our surgeon general, okay? Um, <laughs> because we All do right. respect the position of the surgeon general. He puts out reports that um, gives us really critical guidance for how to handle things during this time. I will say that from a health communication standpoint, it's critically important that you use language that. Um, that is specific, like culturally appropriate, especially when you're using in language and you're talking among your people. Like uh-huh. that is when it is very appropriate to um, perhaps use phrasing like abuela to specify, you know, your Spanish speaking grandmothers. But I'm just saying. So sometimes, um, sometimes it is necessary to um, speak in terms that are culturally appropriate and can be heard by different demographics. And so. Um, that is what I will say about that. Shantae, take it away. So, Brother Jerome, <laughs> um, there were several things Jerome. that were problematic. And, you know, I don't know if y'all saw the... Um, the press conference where he was asked to clarify that particular comment. He tried to clean it up. He tried to clean it up. And instead no. of brother, and, oh, wow. he made it worse. Oh, no. he doubled down on um, I mean. initially, <laughs> initially made. And let me just make, you know, just a, a, a couple of quick points um, that I saw was troubling. Um, one is he singled out, um, African-Americans um, and Latino mm-hmm. communities um, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. everyone should be um, having healthier behaviors at this particular time exactly. to lessen the blow exactly. of the virus. Right. Um, so don't single us out. The other thing that I found was troubling is that it bothers me when folks will use behavior as a reason for um, us experiencing the brunt of our own pain. Come on. Um, this is mm-hmm. because of systemic racism. Um, this is because of the policies and the practices that have been put in place for eons that have um, really 
uh, made our communities suffer. So we cannot be uh, responsible for our own oppression and our own pain. And so one of the things that um, um, also bothered me is this, you know, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps community and and do it on your own kind of thing. Um, So it's up to you um, to have these um, behavior changes when it's like, like I was talking about the systems. I mean, how can you tell somebody to eat healthier when there's no grocery stores or you're living in a food desert? Or how can you tell people to exercise when your neighborhood doesn't have any sidewalks or no crosswalks? Or streetlights. Or streetlights. These are things that have been persistent in our communities for years. And so to um, make it seem as though um, it's our behavior that um, is what's causing this disproportionate rate of us dying I felt was um, damaging and I felt like those were dangerous comments. But I will say that I do think this gives us an opportunity to um, have a conversation about how words matter, um, particularly um, with our elected officials um, and appointed officials um, and how, you know, what you say really does have a direct impact on our communities. Right. Because he missed it. It ended up it ended up being a missed opportunity. You know, mm-hmm, sure. whereas right. our community, as well as many others, really do need facts and they mm-hmm. need compassion. They need guidance. What you did instead was distract from the very point you were trying to make. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which to me sort of. People. Yeah, it, it right. kind of proves the heart. <laughs> the <laughs> heart of the person who's speaking. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is not necessarily one that wants to deliver the facts. You know, we, we just begin to see more and more about how facts are not, um, they're not critical to the communique of this particular administration. And that's anybody who kind of like is, (laughs) when you get up there, your communicative intent is really going to be pressed down by crisis. Crisis shows me exactly how you communicate. It sheds such a bright light. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that it's folks like like the two of you, honestly, who are working. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to being in communications and more than that, media communications. I don't know what the past four years have been like for media communications lead. But we thank God. We praise the Lord. The Lord of truth. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we praise God for people like y'all. And I would love just what are the I would love to hear from y'all. What are the myths that you're often working as like myth busters to really combat? Mm. Because facts are so fleeting, um, especially from yeah. the places of power where we need them most. Yeah, uh, it's been a challenge. I, it's so funny. This actually started Right before the news came out about the the statistics in the Black community for COVID-19, just about two weeks ahead of that, I just kept getting so many uh, forwarded Facebook videos and memes and stuff that would say, you know, this is the cure for COVID-19, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is how you're going to prevent the virus. And it, and it was from every part of my, you know, I've got a lot of family members and I was getting this from every side of my family to the point where I would call 
specifically call family members and say, hey, please stop spreading misinformation. (laughs) I know it seems harmless to you, but it's actually not harmless at all. This matters. Um, And so what we what I found in those first couple of weeks is, you know, of course, the myth that that black people couldn't get uh, COVID-19, you know, and I won't even go into that because now that has been thoroughly busted. And I I could tell you that myth earlier on was circulating in Nigeria because I was in Nigeria when this hit and came back. So just it was all around the globe, the diaspora and and on the continent. And that's something that people need to understand. This didn't start with, you know, right here in America, this idea that African-Americans can get it. This, these kinds of myths are widespread And part of the reason they're so widespread is because of social media. And so we know Black people can get it. We're not even going to talk about that. But another really big myth that went around, and you'll tell me if this was this cropped up in Africa or any countries, you know, um, you said Nigeria, uh, this idea that you can drink hot water and lemon. Yes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, WhatsApp is a cesspool of misinformation. Okay, yes. Uh, I I got that text from the uncles and the aunts, but I'm like, no, y'all, no. Put a few, specifically three slices of lemon. It's got to be three slices of lemon, hot water, steam it over your face. You know, and let me me just remind all of us as... um, people who have rich ethnic traditions. First Mm -hmm. of all, your hot water and lemon idea is probably is, is, is legit. Like it is great. It's a great remedy for feeling better. Getting extra vitamin C is good. You know, it's very cleansing. You know, you'll see a lot of people when they have cold, especially like Haitians, like a lot of different cultures will do this and it's, it's good for you. It's very good for you, but it's not going to cure COVID-19. It's not going to prevent viral infection. And so um, it's really important for us to understand how to vet like a myth. So, for instance, you can go to Snopes.com and get a full detailed explanation about where this myth started and all of the many uh, aspects of this myth that can just easily be debunked if you go to Snopes.com. So that's something that you should probably practice in general. Um, You can also Google something like hot water cure COVID-19 and you will see that it this particular myth was all over the world way before it got here. <laughs> and so it, it was in Italy. It, it was everywhere. Okay. And so it wasn't like this thing that just co- that cropped up. And we know cultures who drink hot water and lemon, you know, as a practice every day, they didn't see any decrease in COVID-19. And so we can just use our comments mm-hmm. a little bit there. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but we want people to have the practice of, fact-checking on their own, reading across multiple channels, making sure you check Snopes.com. And I know that Facebook is even doing an initiative. They've had to, they've had to put out 40 million warning labels for, for, for erroneous coronavirus, inf- coronavirus information. So they are literally trying their best to prevent people from liking and sharing misinformation because it's really mm-hmm. defeating mm-hmm. the purpose. Your information yeah. needs to come from the CDC or from the World Health Organization. Those um, agencies are also doing their part to to bust these myths, but you have mm. to you have to remember to check there when you're when you're hearing these things. Um, when you hear information that sounds a little bit correct, or from a source that sounds a little bit credible, still take a moment to doubt it and look into it. 
Don't just forward it (laughs) because you can't assume that your cousin is going to go and do that homework herself. You don't just forward it to her because she'll say, hey, I heard that hot water and lemon is all I need so I can go to work and be fine without a mask. No, sis, please put your mask on, you know, um, and do what you need to do. Wow. That's so practical. You said doubt it first. You know, like that's yeah. so good. Like, yeah. it's, count, it's counterintuitive, actually, right? Yeah. It's counterintuitive for us. Even for, I think even for us, like we're, I'm like, I'm a realist. Like we're, I mean, Michelle, we're all pretty, we're realists, you know, but I think oh, even yeah. in my mind's eye, I'm like, huh, doubt it first. Like I just never even right. thought about that. But I think, I hope the sisters take that away. Um, well, that and many other things that you all dropped at the table um, today, because my goodness, that's good. When it comes to COVID-19 and remedies, doubt it first and go check yeah, it. For um, sure. Like you said, on Snopes and if it didn't come from WHO and the CDC right. and, and right. yeah, and I would, and I would even, this is me, not Shantara Latroya, but I would say, do not believe a word that comes from 45's mouth. Like, yeah. do not believe oh, a yeah. word he oh, says. Yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah. So, like, At CDC, Small WHO. Y'all know. Y'all know. Exactly. Come and on. I want to say one more thing about the whole sure. thing about sure. we're not immune, because mm-hmm. I, I this is actually really important from a media perspective. Uh, a friend of mine, he did say a couple of weeks back, well, I'm not seeing anybody like us on the news. So it must not, you know, it must not be affecting us. And this, oh, you know, right. and it is true that when we don't see representation of ourselves, the message does not get to our communities. And so right. we have a responsibility to do our own Facebook lives, to point people to where they can get credible information because people yes. really are looking for us. That's why it's so important for even this podcast. People are looking for us to give them that message because the, so the, the, the broader media is not thinking about us until it's a oh, newsworthy boy. story. And by the mm-hmm. time it's a newsworthy story, it's too late. And so don't always look to what you see on TV to validate what you think, you know, like, you know, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, you're right. Let's seek out the the media sources that are for our people. Right, exactly. Um, and by us. That's good. That's really yes. good. I mean, push through LaTroya, push through Shantae. We're <laughs> grateful for y'all. Yes. Truly. Um, can you That's you know, right. um, before we go, can you cause it's time, um, can y'all tell us um how the sisters at the table can um follow your work, follow you on social media, um, uh, begin to learn more about your work with the organizations that um you're working for? Can you is this your time to just Tell them how to follow you and get engaged and plugged in. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Black Body Health. Okay. And uh, we have some information on our website about um, COVID-19. We're pointing you right back to the CDC at www.naatpn.org. That's the National African American Tobacco Prevention Network, naatpn.org. Okay. Great. Wonderful. Well, yeah, yeah. we want to thank y'all so much for taking a seat at the table with us. Man, y'all, let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts, okay, about uh, COVID-19 and the Black community using the hashtag Truth's Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth's Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth's Table has a Patreon account now, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable. 
or you can bless us at PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truthstable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Ekemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.